All right, let's celebrate uh, that you all made it to church. Give each other a round of applause and all of you joining us online. Way to go. Choosing to seek God today. We've been learning about how God honors us and I hope you feel honored in our presence today. Uh, God's at work. We had about 10 baptisms last night, some more at the service before this. We'll have some more uh, later on in this service. So if you're here and you've never taken that step where you say, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm going public with my faith, you can do that later today at the end of our service. We'll be honoring you as you choose to do that. Well, yesterday I was watching my kids play soccer, and I was looking at all the amazing coaches, mostly moms and dads from our community, and I was thinking about the teachers in our community, the educators. You know, this last year as a pastor uh, has been a challenging year for any kind of leader of any kind of group. It's been challenging, of course, for all of us, but especially when you're leading people. And I was just thinking about our teachers, and I thought it would be good for us to just take a moment to honor them for working so hard during all the challenges of this year. Can we just say thank you to our educators in this community? We've got amazing educators. And uh, all of us parents, we're also just thankful that you take our kids for a number of hours every day. It is, an, it is a beautiful thing. So, hey, speaking of kids, I do actually love my kids, even though I joke about them sometimes here. Here's my daughter, Evie, and uh, Evie's amazing, and I can't even put into words just her tender heart and her powerful spirit. And uh, we adopted Evie. We started when she was about a week old. Uh, she was born in Haiti, and she lived the first three years of her life, two and a half years, at an orphanage there in Haiti. And um, it was in March, uh, three or four years ago, that we got to bring her home. And the funniest thing happened in March of this year, end of March, Evie woke up one morning on a Saturday or a, some weekend day, and she just started coloring. That's very normal for her. But she was coloring pictures of me and Mel uh, bringing her home from the orphanage. And like she's, you know, learning to write. So it said like, mom picks me up, dad hugs me, I feel loved. And Mel goes, that's so interesting because it was in March that we uh, finally brought Evie home. So Mel looked it up on the calendar. It was the exact day. We've never told Evie that date before. Somehow in the back of her mind, her brain she just like woke up and her brain remembered that. So uh, I decided like, oh, we have to celebrate. We've got to like honor Evie today. So uh, Jack and I ran to Meyer and we got some like cool little cakes that we thought she would like. And we pretty much had like a little mini birthday party for her. And I, I brought this picture because I just love how the candlelight is kind of reflecting off of her eyes. And do you know that feeling uh, of being a kid at a birthday party? Uh, or even being an adult, and the cake is in front of you, you can kind of feel the heat of the candles, and people you love are surrounding you, and they're singing to you. Do you know what that feeling is? That's honor. And that's what we've been learning in this series, that we're all created in the image of God, designed to experience honor. It's a healthy desire that you have to be honored. God gave you that desire, and God wants you to be honored. In fact, we've learned this in our series so far. It's in our nature to long to be accepted, to long to be worthy. That is, you are considered of worth, to long to be honored. These are God-given desires because you're made in the image of God. 
But we've been considering in this study that the problem is we're born into a world where we experience the opposite of these things many times. Starting from bullies on the playground when we're little to our broken family systems with imperfect siblings and parents to our own mistakes. We, as we go through the years of life, often experience rejection rather than acceptance, feelings of worthlessness rather than worth, and feelings of shame rather than honor. We've also learned in this series that it's actually Satan, the enemy of your soul, who wants you living a life where you constantly feel rejected, where you constantly feel worthless and ashamed. Those feelings aren't from God. That's not what God wants for you. It's not what he designed you for. Now, we've learned in this process that a lot of religions lead to feeling this way. But what Jesus said is, I've come that you might have life and have life to the full. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. In other words, he doesn't want you living over here. He wants you to have the full acceptance that you were designed for with God and others. He wants you to have worth, not in a self-inflated, I'm more important than other people way, but in a God loves me, God values me way. And he wants you to have honor. He wants these things for you. The problem is most of us live over on the left side here of shame. And we've been studying this story that Jesus told. We sometimes call it the prodigal son. It's the lost son. And he does all these shameful things when he runs away from home. He takes his inheritance. He goes to the Las Vegas of his day. He spends all the money. He ends up homeless. He's in the mud with the pigs. And we've learned that there's symbolism in this story that Jesus told. He lived in a shame honor culture. And everything this lost son did was shameful. Including that uh, he was without his robe of honor. He was barefoot. He was dirty. He was hungry. And Jesus says this is more or less a picture of us without God in our lives. And we've considered that, you know, from Justin Bieber at the national level to Al Unser Jr. who met Christ here, that if we try to find honor on our own, we can look to fame, we can look to success. It doesn't work. We still internally uh, feel these things, these rejection and worthlessness and shame. So how do we get over to the honor of God? The answer is when we believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. When you have a moment in your life where you say, God, I need your help in my life. I admit that I'm broken. I'm, I'm a sinner. I need you, Jesus. What happens is not only does your soul get reunited with God and you get a place in heaven for all of eternity, but we were learning in this story Jesus told that in addition to that, God now takes his honor and like a big robe of honor, he covers over the shame in your life. Now, the day will come for you and me when we wake up in heaven someday, and because of our faith in Jesus, we'll look down and we'll fully realize and experience, wow, I'm glorified, I'm honored. But our journey now, our opportunity from now until heaven, is to have in Jesus not only salvation, but to start to actually feel, experience Live out that you are a daughter of the king, that you are a son of the king, that God chose you, that you're valuable to him, that you are worthy because of Christ. And the more we start to absorb this like a sponge, uh, the more it changes the way we see ourselves and it will end up changing our decisions and our patterns and even our whole kind of life legacy.
So here's a little bit of what we've learned. Part one, you have to run to Jesus to experience his acceptance, worth, and honor. Uh, just like Alan Sir Jr. and Justin Bieber and each of us have experienced it. If I run to people or other things for my worth, acceptance, and honor, I'm going to be let down. Only in Jesus can you find the deepest honor, worth, and acceptance that your soul longs for. And then last week, we learned that while you have a one-time definitive moment in your life where you believe in Jesus and you say, you're my Savior, Jesus, you're the God of my life, then the journey doesn't end there, it continues. And we looked at a verse in Hebrews 12, it says to fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. And the idea is this, keep looking to Jesus. Every time something would tell you you're not good enough, or you've sinned too much, or you're not valuable, or you should give up on yourself, any of those negative voices, whether they're in the back of your mind, or someone is typing it to you, or someone is saying it to you, Wherever it comes from, you look to Jesus in that moment, and you find your value, your worth, your acceptance in him. We've looked at this spiral. I call it the shame spiral. This reality that in a given week, all of us will have a bunch of what I've called trigger events, for lack of a better word. It's when something uh, makes you think you're not good enough, you're not valuable enough, and, and these are very different for all of us. Right, Someone who grew up with an abusive or alcoholic parent, it's going to be very different than someone uh, you know, who, who grew up in a pretty good home but then made some real bad mistakes in life. We've all, this shows up in a thousand different ways. And I told you last week, kind of vulnerably, how God, when he called me out of journalism to be a pastor and I started preaching, for me, one of these things was that every time I would preach, no matter how hard I worked on the message, afterwards... I would just feel like I was a total failure. It, so a lot of these triggers, sometimes it's a sin, but sometimes it's not a sin. Like that was a false shame that I would work so hard on a message, I would do my best, and afterwards there would be these voices in the back of my head saying like, who do you think you are? Why do you think God could use you? You'll never, you know, God's so great. These people need him. You're never actually gonna do a, a right job of connecting people to him. Those voices were not from God, but they were triggers of shame, worthlessness, and rejection. And it was starting about 10 years ago that, that I was studying Luke 15 and realized, wow, when I came to Jesus, not only did God save me, but he covered over all my feelings of shame. And I started praying specifically, God, will you help me to experience your honor instead of these false shames and where there's sin in my life in the past, the real shames? Would you help me to start experiencing this? And in the process, I learned this, that when I have any of these feelings, when we, we've learned that we all have these feelings. When we have these feelings or voices, real people or in our own head, uh, we've got kind of two options. And, and the option that we have apart from God is to hide from people because we're embarrassed about it, to isolate, and then to numb the pain. And sometimes we numb the pain with things that look kind of innocent, like, you know, I'm, I'm shopping, but really what I'm doing is I just don't want to think about my problems, and that's why I'm shopping. Other times, it's, it's more uh, hurtful things, like um, getting, you know, high on something or getting intoxicated, and so you've numbed out from reality. And the problem with all those things, even some of the ones that seem kind of harmless, is when we use them to deal with our shame... Then later, we get the bill in the mail, if it's the credit card statement, 
or we get the consequences from what happened when we were isolated and numbing out, and that makes us feel even more ashamed. And then we carry that around, and it ends up being a spiral, and this is where a lot of addictions come from, is actually this shame spiral. But what we learn in the story of Jesus and what I've been experiencing for about 10 years now is you can actually go the opposite direction. Every time something makes you think I'm worthless or I'm too messed up or I'll never overcome that problem, instead of hiding and isolating and numbing out, I can look to Jesus by looking to his words and his people, healthy followers of Jesus, not religious people, healthy followers of Jesus, and they say, you know what, John? In Jesus, you're a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. God called you and has a plan for you. And we learned last week that you find promises from God's word, and, and we can help you as a community find the promises that best fit your triggers. And when those things happen, you remind yourself. So I told you that I used to always feel really worthless after I would preach. Well, one of the promises God gave me from his word, there's a passage in Jeremiah chapter one. It says, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you and I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And that's a verse that still to this day, if I'm about to go out and preach and I start to just feel completely worthless and unqualified, I just quote that verse. Before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you and I appointed you. That's a tool that God has given me when I would spiral down to spiral up. And be able to take those thoughts captive and say, you know what? God created me from eternity past. He has a plan for me. His plan for me doesn't depend so much on me being perfect as me just believing him and stepping out. And you can spiral upward. So I hope that in this series, you've started to at least grasp this. It's a lifelong journey. I'm on it with you of learning how to look to God's promises. And what I want to talk about today is this reality that as you start to make upward progress, you'll have some things that set you back at times. And it might take you, you know, two months to get up to here, and then someone says something, or you think something, or you feel something, or you remember something, and all of a sudden you find yourself, you feel like you're right back where you started. That'll happen at times. And I'll tell you another kind of vulnerable story about myself of a time that happened to me. Um, when I first started pastoring, I left my journalism career. Melanie and I went to this little church in Arizona called Cornerstone. And it started with about 40 people. Um, and as we served there, it, it kept growing. And it was somewhere when we were growing from about 200 to 300. Um, I don't even remember what we changed. We must have changed the bulletin. It was some little thing. Uh, but there was this lady in the church named Love. Her name did not fit her disposition. Uh, I'm pretty sure love is with the Lord now in a glorified body and hopefully having a good laugh as I tell this story. But, you know, love was an angry old lady, okay? And the irony was I had just led her son, Stuart. Her son was like 60 years old. I had just led him to the Lord and baptized him. Like, Stuart's life is changing. Like, big good things are happening. But she was so upset about this thing with the bulletin. And love cornered me in my office. I was probably like 28. I was a little younger than this picture, maybe 29. And I had these voices in the back of my head that, you know, why are you even in ministry? Who do you think you are? And I had been working to define myself in Jesus, and I was making my way up the honor spiral. And love came in, and in her verbal tirade, she pretty much said out loud all the stuff that was going on in the back of my head that I was working so hard to overcome. And in about, you know, five minutes, 
Love took me from up here to like way back down where I began. And you guys can laugh at me because I know you're like, John, you're a full grown man. Why are you like, you know, set back by a little old lady yelling at you? Well, that's just the way I'm wired. You know, that's part of my, we're all different. We've all got stuff, you know? And for me, you can laugh at me. I know I'm a wimp, but it took me months. I kid you not. It took me months to get over the things she said because I actually loved her and I cared about her. I was doing my best to serve her and then for her to say how terrible of a job I was doing. So I, I know that your triggers are different than a little old lady yelling at you. But I want to talk about this question. How do you keep growing in God's acceptance and honor when you've started to do that? You know, you're just starting to like, wow, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. God has a plan for my life. And then someone or something comes along, steals your joy, and sets you back. It looks very different for all of us, right? For someone who alcohol was their thing, and they've, they've, now they've been sober for a while, and they're doing really well, but then maybe they're at a restaurant or somewhere, and they see that brand or whatever, and, and boom, it just takes them back. Or someone has an eating disorder, and they start to learn, you know what? I'm beautiful because God says I am, not because of how I look or what anyone else says. And they start to eat healthy and they start to give their body enough nourishment. And then they see a picture or something else and they spiral back down. This is all of us. It's just different expressions. Every single one of us, whether it's a little old lady or a bottle or a comment on social media, it's every single one of us if, if we're actually aware of ourselves. So when you start to make progress and then you have that setback, you know what another common setback is in a marriage or family? You have a sin in your past that hurt people and you've done your best to return to God and he's restoring you and you're growing and you know you're not perfect, but you're growing. But then you get in a fight with that spouse or, or that relative and in the fight, they dig that thing back up from five or seven years ago. Boom, that's a setback. Right? There's a thousand different ways this shows up in each of our lives. If I could tell you today how to keep moving forward after a setback like that. If I could tell you how to keep growing up and experiencing the honor of God, even when someone or something pulls the rug out from under you, would you want to know how? Well, that's what we're going to learn as we keep studying Luke 15 here we are. We're going to find God's answer in this third character. So far in the story of the lost son, we've looked at these two characters, the lost son and the father, right? The son who's like, dad, give me my inheritance. He runs away, does all the shameful things. Then he limps back home. The father, who's a picture of God, shows him unconditional love, unconditional acceptance. And in the original audience, you might remember, Jesus was sitting with prostitutes and tax collectors and sinners. And the religious leaders of his day, the teachers of the law, they came up to him and they said, why would you be with such dirty people? And Jesus answers them by telling this story. This story is his answer. And actually, he tells three stories. He says, uh, imagine a shepherd has 100 sheep and one is lost. Won't they leave the 99 to go after the one? And essentially, Jesus says, I love sinners. I love all people so much that I came to earth, I left the comforts of heaven to reach you. And then he tells the story of the lost son, with the point being, the sheep doesn't go back home. It's like God comes to you. 
But the, the story of the lost son is the son has to choose to go back home. And you have to have a moment in your life where you choose, God, I return to you. Your parents can't choose that for you. Your boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse, no one else can decide for you, will you return to God? And whenever you do, God always meets sincere repentance with overwhelming grace, love, and forgiveness. So the lost son was a picture of sinners, and today it's a picture of us or anyone who returns to God in a sincere way. Now in the original audience, this third character who you're going to meet today, the older brother, he stayed home. He was like the perfect kid, right? He stayed home. He was a picture of the religious people in Jesus' day. And for us today, he's really a symbol of anyone or anything that says, well, God might forgive you, but I don't. God might honor you now, but I don't. You will have older brother characters in your life. It could be real people or it could be that soundtrack in the back of your mind about your own inadequacy. You'll have people and others who don't honor and forgive even after God does. So in this story, we're going to learn how to deal with that. We're going to pick up in verse 21 with this wayward or prodigal son. This is when he returns and he's limping back home and he's, uh, you know, his robe of honor is gone. He's covered in shame. And he says, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. And this is so important because you need to know that this undeserved acceptance, forgiveness, love, and honor that God offers, it's available to everyone, but you only experience it when you repent, when you humble yourself and, and you say, God, uh, my way isn't working. Jesus, I want you to be the king of my life. I want you to be the God of my life. That's what this is in the story, the repentance. And then look at this feeling of worthlessness. He says, I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. And that was probably, that was technically true. But how does the father respond? Verse 22, father said to his servants, quick, bring the finest robe and put it on him. We've learned that from this shame, honor culture, this robe was highly significant. And so the robe of honor covers over the shame of the son. Same with the ring, same with the sandals. All of these are symbols of honor. Verse 23, kill the fattened calf, symbol of honor. We must celebrate with a feast, symbol of honor. Why, verse 24, because this son of mine was dead and now he's returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. So if you imagine that feeling of being honored at a birthday party, this is that feeling times about 100 because it's a shame honor culture and everyone gets it. These are all symbols of honor. And now this son who doesn't deserve to be honored is being honored. And I know for some of you in your marriage, you're like, yeah, John, you said that thing earlier about a spouse bringing up the thing from years ago. That's me. But if you realize what my spouse did years ago, you would get why I still bring it up. They don't deserve forgiveness and honor. And that's the entire point. None of us deserve forgiveness and honor. That's the whole point. This son gets what he doesn't deserve. You know, mercy is when you shouldn't be forgiven, but someone forgives you anyway. That's what mercy is. Grace is when you shouldn't be forgiven and someone forgives you anyway and then they throw a party for you and then they give you a bunch of honor that you don't deserve. And at the cross, 
almighty God shedding his blood gave you mercy, but he also gave you grace. He gave us grace. He gave the people around us grace. And my prayer for you in this series is that like a sponge, you'd start to absorb this honor that God has given you through Jesus. And that the more of it you absorb, it just starts to drip off of you to the people around you. And that you're able to start honoring people around you, especially those who are repentant in a way that they might not deserve, but we understand to whom much is given, much is required. And because I've been loved so much, I can love the people around me. Well, meanwhile, verse 25, the older son was in the fields working, right? While the younger son's off, living it up, partying, you know, ruining the family fortune. I, older son, I've been working my tail off in the fields. I've been being a good boy. He returns home. He hears the music and dancing, and he asks one of the servants, what's going on? Your brother is back, verse 27. Your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. Verse 28, the older brother was angry and refused to go inside, wouldn't go in. Why? Because going into the party would mean he's also honoring the younger brother. He refuses. Dad might honor him. All dad's employees have to honor him, but I'm not going to honor him. In fact, I'm never going to forget what he did. We all have someone like this in our life, don't we? They'll never forget what we did. And don't we all have some relationships where we are being this or have been this to someone else? So the father, again, father's the picture of God, comes out and begs the older brother, hey, I'm honoring your, your brother. Won't you come honor him with me? Verse 29, he replies, the older brother says, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. Probably an exaggeration, right? In all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Also probably not literally true. Yet when this son of yours comes back, after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf, right? All this older brother can see in the moment is how good he is and how bad his sinful brother is. But the father says this in verse 31. Look, dear son, you've always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and now he was found. Now, there is so much in here, and there's a lot more in your small group study guide. But just one little aside here, this older brother, the father still honors, even though he's acting unhonorably right now. And remember, the older brother is a picture of the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. What are they going to do to Jesus? They're going to be the ones who put Jesus on the cross. <laughs> so here's God telling them this story and even in the story, he says, you're still, you're still mine. I still love you too, but you've got to learn to love those who wandered away and came back. Now, here's my question for you as we look at this whole story. Uh, three characters, lost son, the father, the older brother. Here's the question. Who defines the value of the lost son? Remember, the lost son said, I'm worthless. The older brother says he doesn't deserve any honor or anything. 
The father says, it's my house and I'm going to honor him anyway. Three different definitions. They can't all be right. Who actually in reality defines the value of the son? And the answer was so clear to Jesus' original audience. It's the father who defines the value. Why? Because it's the father's house. It's the father's estate. It's the father's farm. And if the father says that his shame has been completely covered by honor, then his shame has been completely covered by honor. And here's the thing. You, as a follower of Jesus, are now part of the household, the estate, the farm, the family of God. And he defines your value. You could put it this way. Your heavenly father defines your value. What that means is that your critics don't define your value. It also means that your failures no longer define your value. And it means that your feelings don't define your value. I have lots of days where I wake up and I don't feel valuable. I don't feel like I'm good at anything. I, I still have days like that. Is that reality? Nope. What God says is reality. And you'll have days where you wake up and you still uh, have failures from years ago hanging over your head. Do those define you? Not to your father. Not through Jesus. This changes everything. And I want to give you two specific ways that this can change your life for the better today. Here's the first one. Don't let any older brother steal your joy or condemn you in shame. Here's what I mean. That younger son, when he gets embraced by the father, he could have spent that whole party of celebration and honor looking out the corner of his eye. My older brother's not here. He could have obsessed on that, right? And, and don't we do that at times? There's someone who still says, and we're going to just prove them wrong. But you don't have to prove them wrong. You can let it go. And by the way, there's going to be some people out there, especially in the age of the internet, who say that you're worthless and rejected for the rest of your life. So don't make it your goal to convince them. Make it your goal to receive and, and just become saturated by the honor that the Father gives you. So question, have you let a failure, a feeling, or a critic steal your joy as an honored child of the King? Uh, and if so, then today, just join me and say, God, I want to really open the lid of my heart and just experience. Would you just pour in the honor and acceptance that is mine through Jesus? Help, help me to just feel that. You know, Scripture, as I studied this and looked back at the whole of Scripture, all of the Bible, all of human history can be summed up with this shame and honor. If you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, God honors humans. Now, all of this is in our small group study guide. We could do a sermon on every one of these, but I'm just going to breeze through this. You can always go deeper here every week. That's part of how we're set up. We're set up so you can invite your friends, your family, people who've never been in church. They can come in here any week and understand the word of God. And every week you can go deeper with our small group study, as deep as you want with your life application study Bible. Then in an honored, remember Adam and Eve, he's, God blesses them. He says, be fruitful, multiply, rule, reign. They're completely honored. They're completely without shame. But then sin comes in, Genesis 3. Satan came in to kill, steal, and destroy. And as soon as sin comes in, what do Adam and Eve do? They hide from God. They're feeling shame. They start to isolate from each other. And then sin spreads through all of human history. 
Cain and Abel, the first murder from Adam and Eve's kids. And then comes racism, then comes murder, uh, war, genocide, every kind of evil you can think of. And it gets worse and worse until God steps into our world in the person of Jesus to give undeserved honor to anyone who will repent. And that's what we're studying right now. Now, there's a future coming ahead of us when Jesus will return and make everything right. And then all who've trusted in him, John 3 says, whoever believes will be saved. And the point is this, you will be honored, every believer in Jesus, God gave his only son, so whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And that word life, it's this idea of we're going to live in the honor of God. And if you want to go deeper in your life application study Bible, read Revelation 21, where God shows a picture of the new Jerusalem, where Jesus, the Lamb of God, is at the center of the city, kind of beaming out, replacing the sun, and all the nations, every race, enter and give God their honor, and then all whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life will dwell in that place of honor. No death, no cancer, no racism, no war, no pain, no shame, no rejection, no worthlessness for all of eternity, and that's our future as followers of Jesus. Yeah, right? That's, that's worth celebrating. We can celebrate that. So visually, you could look at it like this. God created us for honor. You know, Satan broke it, but then God came at the cross, paid the price to restore it. In our future, all the nations will honor God, and all who are in Christ will be honored by God. So let me give you a second way this teaching of Jesus can change our lives, and it's this. Let's be a community that is the very opposite of the older brother. Let's be a community of people who show honor to one another. You know, the world around us is fracturing and dividing. And people are rejecting each other in every way that they can and shaming each other. The internet, which, you know, is a tool that can do great good, has become a tool where pretty much anyone who's out there will end up getting shamed, rejected, or told they're worthless by someone if they're on there long enough. And this is the world our kids are growing up in. This is the world our grandkids are growing up in. Our homes, our church can be a refuge from all of that. The body of Christ, not religion, but the true brothers and sisters of Christ, we get to be a place where you are honored by me and your shame is covered, where we honor one another with the heart of the Father. And don't we all want that? I mean, could you imagine being in a family, in a home where everyone who steps foot in that home is honored? Do you imagine being part of a family where anytime you mess up or someone else messes up, it's met with as soon as there's repentance, there's forgiveness. And not just, well, I kind of forgive you and you're my blood, so I have to put up with you. But whenever I'm mad, I'm going to remind you of that. But instead, the shame is covered with honor. Wouldn't it be awesome to have a family like that? This is what God wants for us. Your home can be a refuge of honor in a world of shame and accusation. So quick question for you, the people in your life, have you been more like the father or more like the older brother with them? Maybe starting right, you know, if you've got roommates or your spouse or your kids or brothers and sisters, have you been more like the father, I meet you with unconditional love and honor, or more like the older brother? Now, how about in our workplaces, in our schools, 
most importantly here in the body of Christ. If we could be a community that lives this out, uh, such a community changes the world. And I want to show you a story of a dear sister in our church family who in this last year experienced that shame in a debilitating way, in a paralyzing way. And in her case, it was a completely false shame and anxiety about everything going on in the world. And she felt so ashamed of her anxiety that, that it was completely paralyzing her. But the body of Christ came around her. And I want you to see this because these shame triggers that we have, sometimes they are connected to a sin we've done, but a lot of times it's a voice in the back of our head. Or sometimes it can even just be sickness makes you weak and tired and you just feel so low or anxiety can trigger shame. Those are things that I call a false shame, right? Where there, you actually haven't done anything wrong, but you're feeling shame anyway. Any embarrassment about a normal struggle is a false shame. I want you to see in our sister Katie's life, there was a false shame that the enemy was using to paralyze her. And I want you to see the power of brothers and sisters when we come together in love. Let's go ahead and take a look. I, my name is Katie Harshman. We have been living in Brownsburg for four years almost and attending Connection Point for just about three. Life was going well uh, the last couple of years. Um, my children were growing, they were thriving, they were happy. We continued to come to church. We joined a couple of small groups um, and then the pandemic hit. The kids are sent home from school, we're shut in. I'm not seeing my parents. My sister-in-law, who is like a, just like a sister to me, had been diagnosed with cancer just a couple of months earlier and now she's battling chemo by herself. Everything's shut in, and I think that just had this effect, you know, healthy or even unhealthy, everything I had used to cope was now gone. And I think that it just it led to a literal physical and mental breakdown. I started to wake up every single night, and every single day was I was consumed with um, just these rapid, horrible thoughts of, uh, this is never gonna end, why does my body feel this way? Why can't I sleep, why can't I eat? It was also, I'm a wretched person, I'm a terrible person, I, I, I don't love my kids, I don't love my home. The shame, I, I would go to a friend's house who was also on lockdown with their children, not knowing the future, missing their parents, and they were okay. And I'm thinking, wow, I'm so weak. You are so weak, Katie, they can do it, why can't you? Those were some of the, the doubting, terrible thoughts I would have about myself and repeat to myself, you're weak, you're unlovable, you are annoying, you're bugging people to death, you, your poor husband is only putting up with you for the kids. I mean, the list of what negative speech I had for myself can, can go on and on, and I've thought all of it. I, I didn't want to take my life, but the story of Elijah resonates with me very deeply when he prayed to God for, to take his life. I said those prayers. It was the biggest feeling I've ever felt in my life out of all of the feelings, good and bad, and absolutely the most terrifying thing I've ever been through in my life. At this point, I hadn't slept in days. My mom did have to come and take my kids. Um, I couldn't care for them. I couldn't care for myself. My husband had to take off work and I hadn't slept and I couldn't eat. And eventually it, it did lead to hospitalization. In the meantime, we discovered just how amazing our small group was. I didn't know where else to turn. 
So I finally came clean to them what was going on in my life. And my husband and I were both met with the kind of love and support that we had never experienced in a friendship before. The prayers started, the resources started. Uh, one of our small group leaders works at Connection Point and was able to put me in contact with the person I needed to talk to to get some help. And I was actually, with her help, able to find a therapist uh, that would see me in person, even though there was a pandemic. That's God in mental illness. That is our Lord when life is hard is the people, the other Christians, that listen to the Lord enough to come into a moment, just a moment, to give you a helping hand, to give you a prayer, to give you strength, to tell you it's okay. It's okay that you're not feeling great and it's okay that you can't pray right now. I'll pray for you instead. You know, expecting God to just snap his fingers and fix my life was always what I thought God was all about, but when I got a better idea of how He works in our lives, I started to see His hand everywhere. I can't, I can't even go into it all, it's just so big, but I, I started to see and I thought, you know, wow, it took this, but you love me <laughs> and care about me. You want me to be okay and you are hurting that I'm hurting. There's no doubt in my mind where God is and where I am in His family now. And the, the, the feeling of that is overwhelmingly joy, just joy, so much joy that I never can speak about it without choking up completely. The joy just pours out of me when I think about belonging to Jesus' family, to God's family, to, you know, the sacrifices made for me, the promises made just for me. It, it's overwhelming. Wasn't that so brave? So brave of Katie to share that story with all of us, and I hope you sense as you watch it that the struggles in your life around worthlessness, shame, or rejection, uh, they're completely normal. It's all of us, and the solution is in Jesus, and for eternity we have that, but until eternity, we have in each other and in the Word of God a community that helps us overcome these things, that helps us experience our worth in God. The beauty of Katie sharing this with her small group is that when you're with other healthy believers, they can help you sort out things that you can't sort out for your own, you know? Am I just going through a season of discouragement or is this depression? You know, is, are, are, is memorizing scripture, that's always part of the solution, but do I also need to see a therapist? And, and when you've got that unconditional love and support, and we've got the resources here as a church family uh, to connect you with really whatever it is in your life, if you'll just open up in your group and with others in our church and say, here's what I'm going through, it's when we open up about those things with trustworthy people who are also following Jesus that he starts to really set us free and we get to experience this reality that we're already valued by God. Uh, we love Katie so much, and we're just so honored that she shared her story with us. And uh, one of the cool parts about her story is that, at, you know, at its worst, uh, she had so much anxiety that uh, coming in here um, would almost set her into a panic attack, and she would 
uh, if she could make it in, sit in the back row. Uh, now there's weeks where she's on stage leading worship. And, uh, you know, that, yeah, that's through the community of believers, <laughs> Christian therapists and professionals who've been part of all that. But Katie has been so brave to just bring it to Jesus uh, and to look to him to define her rather than her feelings or anything else. I want to, uh, there's so much in your small group study guide, but I want to skip to Ephesians 5 verses 1 and 2. It says this, follow God's example as dearly loved children. There's so much in here, but as I understand how infinitely loved I am by the Father, then I can start to follow his example and give that honor to the people around me. Walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. This is God's blueprint for every marriage for every parent-child relationship. This is his blueprint for us as brothers and sisters, and this is how we change the world because this does not exist anywhere outside of Jesus and his people. Romans 12, verse 10, puts it this way. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Now, what if this next week in your home, you made it a challenge to outdo in honoring each other? What if in our small groups, in our church, what if we were to live this way as a way of life? It's God's plan for us, and uh, it's possible. It's happening. Let's lean into it and experience it more. I want to pray that for you right now. Father, in this place, Lord, you love each person so much more than they know. What are they worth? They're worth your only begotten son, crucified on a hill to absorb their shame, to wash away their sins, to define their worth, to cover all the rejections of a lifetime with the acceptance of eternity. Father, I just pray for every person in this moment. I just pray that each one would just open the lid of their heart and allow your honor to just gush down in. Lord, I pray for every daughter of yours who has believed lies about her worthlessness or her value being defined by her looks or anything else. I pray for every son of yours who's carrying around a backpack full of rocks of regret that he doesn't have to be carrying. Lord, I pray for every child in the house of God today that they would feel your robe of honor draped over them and that they would absorb and become saturated by your unconditional love, your undeserved grace, your redefining of our worth and our value. And Lord, may we just be sponges in your presence that we would just be dripping with your honor on us and that it would drip off of us. And that when circumstances in life squeeze us, that the people around us would encounter the honor, the love of Almighty God, not because we originate it, but because we've received it and now we can give it freely. Lord, I pray for all of our kids growing up in this crazy world of rejection and shame that in your church and in our families, 
they would experience a supernatural love, a supernatural acceptance. God, I pray this over our homes. I pray this over our kids and grandkids. I pray this over us as a church. May we uh, understand and experience what you've done for us. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.